0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is Episode 56 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we share with you three men with a combined more than 200 years' experience with their greatest teacher, the horse. This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hello. How are you, Debbie? Hi. I'm excited. I'm excited to kick off 2016 with you. Yeah. uh, This is our first conversation in the new year. It is. It is. I've been listening to a lot of the other shows, though, and people should because they've been really good. What a great kickoff to 2016. Yeah, we Very have exciting. gotten off
2: to, to an energetic start, and I'm I'm really excited about having our guests on today who both have a connection to the equestrian phenomenon known as Road to the Horse. Have you ever been to that?
1: I have never been. I am so on my bucket list. That is is one of the top ones.
2: I got to go last year. Uh, Glenn yeah. and the horse radio network do some broadcasting from the road to the horse. So I got to go along last year. And how I, was it? Well, you know, I have to admit the first few years that road to the horse existed, I kind of poo pooed it. Yeah. Um, well, I come from that whole English tradition yeah. and very pony club, very yeah. pony club. And mm-hmm. for many a year, the English world poo pooed anything that had a Western cowboy hat on. We were all very much about our own little worlds. And if you weren't on my team, I didn't want to talk to you. So I kind of poo (laughs) pooed it. And then Glenn got to go two years ago for the first time to do broadcasting. And he just went on and on about how cool it was. So I'm Mm like, okay, we'll give it a try. And I got to go. And I must say, I really learned a lot about uh, starting horses, but I also learned a lot about my perception and my... Mm -hmm. What's the word I want to use?
1: Um, yeah, preconceived my, notion. My, or yeah, something, my prejudice.
2: Huh? Because, mm. Yeah, and I had a lot. Of, I had a lot of prejudice because well, it's not supposed to work that way, or doing it mm. that way is bad <laughs>
1: and <It's> too fast.
2: <laughs> well, it wasn't so much the speed as I had the yeah. preconceived notion of what a cowboy and starting a horse was. It was left over from. Did you ever watch The Horse with a Flying Tail, the Walt Disney movie? Oh, yeah. And the <laughs> scene early on where they're breaking, I forget what they named him. Yes. They named, oh, yeah. That, that It's like the Misfits. You yes, know, that, right? that scene, this, yeah. yeah, that stuck with me from when I was like nine years old. Um, yeah. and it And I learned a lot about how I need to set aside some of my preconceived notions about mm-hmm. starting and what order things need to happen in. Um, the whole concept of getting on a horse's back before you've spent six weeks trotting them around in circles on a, on long lines. It's like, oh my gosh, you can't possibly do that. Uh, well, but guess what? You can. Uh, so that was really, really a lot of fun. And having been introduced to the language of Equus via the Horsemanship Radio Show and Monty Roberts University, I had a little bit of an inkling about the body language being used early mm. on especially so you, you were looking for that i was too. looking yeah, for that now cool. i got i recognize some of it because i'm just not that good at it but i recognized some bits and pieces and, and recognized where some of the competitors went uh-oh they missed a little spot there let's see if it comes back to kick
1: him in the butt and it did <laughs> uh, so that was kind of cool <laughs> it that happens kinda, yeah. yeah yeah and and so how many just just to give a perspective for people who don't even know what the road the horse is how many competitors do they allow for
2: in that? The competition proper has three trainers. Each trainer is okay. has a round pen, and they go in there with a horse and, and a trainer, and all of the horses are, I want to say two-year-olds or three-year-olds, and they're untouched. Mm-hmm. They're not wild horses, but they're untouched horses who all come from the same ranch, so they all have a very similar um, amount of experience coming into it. The horses are raised with, open on the range. So they're not halter broke. They're not handled. Okay. Really okay. haven't had their tree, feet trimmed much and that kind of thing. They're pretty feral. Uh, so that happens yeah. <laughs> and they have three days and each day they get to work with the horse for, I think it's a night total of nine mi- 90 minutes. And those are broken yeah. up into several sessions. So the horses get worked with for a bit and they go back and are untouched and unlooked at by humans so they can rest and relax. And then they come back in. Uh, so it's,
1: it's a really interesting process that way. Yeah, it is, and and they've got a a set of judges that are scoring for for what for the end goal, or are they scoring all along? Or they score throughout each day. The each day, each trainer gets a final score for the day, and it's Mm -hmm. cumulative. Okay. So it's a point system that yes. uh when all is added up. So what happens at the very end? I know there's an obstacle challenge. What yeah. what does it look like? Is at, is it chaotic or Well, at the end, they have mandatory movements that
2: the horse has to perform. Simple stuff mm-hmm. like pick up a foot. And believe you me, that's the hardest thing for a lot of those horses was to pick up a foot. Yeah. Because they're picking up the foot and they're not tied to anything. They're just standing there. Uh, so they have sense. mandatory movements. And then they also do the obstacle course, which is, of course, the highlight. And the obstacle course is off the hook. These are horses who have <laughs> had less than four hours. So three days. You know, less than <laughs> yeah. three days of, <laughs> of human contact, much less training. All right. And right. they have to walk and trot. And canter and stop and spin and ground tie and jump all amongst balloons, um, Mm. firecrackers. They have um, streamers. They have to stand up on the horse's back. They have to reach for things above their heads. They have to drag logs on a horse that's been under saddle for an hour total yeah you know it's crazy and the crowd gets into it the crowd is encouraged to participate you clap you cheer you go oh when something goes
1: bad and this helps this helps well it's interesting because
2: a lot of times especially early on in the competition it gets very very quiet in the arena because everybody's on the edge of their seat Mm. and the trainers will oftentimes Stop. The trainers are microphones. You can hear them talking and throughout the competition, uh-huh. they will tell you exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it and how the horse is reacting. So it's sort of a clinic of sorts, too. So hello. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mark that on your bucket list too. go. You get to go learn from these people. They will yeah. encourage the crowd to participate. Go ahead and cheer. Go ahead and go. Oh, because they want that horse to experience that stuff. They don't want it to. to um, they don't want to put the horse in a bubble. They wanted to experience yeah. all that stuff and it, it does make a difference. And then that's, now that you ask, you say that, that's, I think, a quite a, something that many, many, many of us as trainers get, we get hooked into that. We want to protect mm-hmm. the horse from yes. experiences we think might go bad. Mm-hmm. And then we limit his experiences, period. And then when we get in a situation where we can't control the input from the outside world, we get ourselves into deep, deep trouble and something that that's true. Jamie, who hosts, co-host of the Horses in the Morning show, yeah, Jamie who, Jennings, uh-huh. who went out to uh, the Gentling Wild Horses Clinic, a quote that she got from Monty, which I have been able to use in my own life. And I'm, I keep reminding myself because I do that. I tend to want to protect the horses' experiences too much. Um, when something goes bad, it's like, well, he had that in him. He had to get it out.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right.
2: And it's okay.
1: Right. <laughs> and it's okay. Let him express it. Yeah. Let him get it right. out. <laughs> get, get out of the way. <laughs> let, yes. him, let him do his thing. That's yeah. right. That's right. And we tend to, to bu- bubble wrap and, and we, uh, you know, we have this at the highest levels. Some people know of some of the experiences in the Olympics or in the, you know, the world championships and dressage in Europe. Some of those, uh, riders have to walk their well, because sometimes they can't even walk the horse back into the arena to get their awards because of the cheering. Mm-hmm. They, they don't prepare their horses for the cheering right. and the, and the noise. And, it, yeah. you know, and that's a very highly disciplined to music, uh, structure. And, and they, they don't do all the preparation. So the, a lot of that's changing even in the old, old world of dressage because of contests like this, seeing that it is okay to, to, desensitize i guess right. is the best word well, i can yeah. think of yeah. Almost to the problems and yeah the, to-
2: the people mm-hmm. who are participating at least in the the uh, road to the horse aspect having attended that those people yeah. are highly accomplished horsemen not just because they're highly accomplished trainers but they're highly accomplished competitors and that's yes. showing the generations coming up and for people like me who have been doing this for a while and and are looking for new ideas every day You can be a world champion competitor in whatever discipline, yet Mm -hmm. still embrace this concept of creating a very well-rounded horse from day
1: one. Yes, exactly. Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to teach him
2: about crowds and scary stuff until he's going to X level.
1: Not necessarily, right? Right? Why wait? (laughs) It's, it just sounds crazy when we say it out loud, but you know this mm-hmm. is a process that happens all the yeah, time. it does. Uh, you know, and, and I do. I honestly do. I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn on this, but I do get questions from people about every other month. I bet I get one that says, "I don't understand it. How does my horse know that I'm going to be um, at a show? Why is it? Does he act differently when we're in show mode than when we're, you know, not? And it's so funny. It's because we completely telegraph everything. <laughs> (laughs) First of all, you know, Mm -hmm. we start braiding, we start doing the, you know, soap and everything. Plus, we, you know, we get. Our adrenaline up. We get nervous about things. We get them out of bed really early in the morning, and you wonder why they haven't, you know, acted that way yet. And now they're suddenly, you know, crazy on you. Well, (laughs) it's not them that's cray cray. It's us that's forgetting that you know we're we're telegraphing all this stuff and not doing it in a practice mode. Exactly. We don't we don't even notice all those
2: yeah all those little things that the horse is completely tuned into. We don't even notice. You know, well, they got fed breakfast an hour early. They notice that. The horse yeah. trailer moved. They noticed that. Um, exactly. The, tra- the tack smells funny because it just got cleaned. They noticed that. Yeah. All that yeah. stuff adds up to a horse going, what the heck is going on here? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to act myself at all. What? And why is she complaining about that? Yeah. So you're <laughs> exactly. right. So you got to practice. You got to do these practice runs. You got to, you know, and this is some of the stuff that Jamie Jennings learned too. Um, you know, her first uh, experiences with Thor, which she's just going through. If you listen to some of those shows, she's, you know, she's doing her first competition. But she did learn back in the summer that all those things have to be lived through before you can expect them to be old hats at this thing, you know? So I, Mm -hmm. I, I, love, I love the road to the horse concept and I love that it's been growing over years, getting better and, and, um, figuring out the, the fairest way to do these things for the horses, figuring out how to balance those horse talents and, and, and sensitivities, um, and, and making it, uh, making a really entertaining thing for people to come and learn from no matter the discipline too. So, alright, that's on my bucket list. And we're, we're really fortunate to have, uh, Chris Cox, Jack Brainerd, and Monty Roberts here to talk about that because, uh, I mean, I know. Uh, Monty has been to some of these as a judge, but was kind of there at the early stages uh, before it really developed into what it is now, which is a cool, cool thing. And Jack Brainerd, ninety-four only, wrote a book. Just I love this book he just came out with called "A Horseman Remembers His First Ninety Years." Isn't oh, cool! That the oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and and he's a judge on Road to the Horse; yeah. hasn't missed one of them. Uh, been a judge on his, and first what day. A great to- storyteller. Jack is a, a fantastic great. storyteller. Yes. Exactly. It. So people have to they have to listen all the way through to this and then uh Chris Cox which of course he is just he's retiring this trophy. I think he's <laughs> won it 4 years in a row. He just hands down is the hand out there in the ring from uh from everything that you're going to hear today you're going to understand why he understands his him, himself, you know, he understands his his way around a horse and he understands the horse reading him uh better than you know, just about anybody on earth. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun.
2: All right. Let's hear from our, our first sponsor, IFA.com, and then we'll get right into it with uh, Chris Cox.
3: Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate. He's a sugar bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors, or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133.
1: Well, welcome. We've got Chris Cox and Monty Roberts on the phone. How are you two? Doing great. Well, I'm good.
4: Doing great. I'm doing. I'm doing all right. This is Monty here, and Chris was was there talking to.
1: That's awesome. Uh, it, it's so fun to have both of you on Horsemanship Radio. Finally, I say finally because you know Chris has been so busy in the United States, mostly uh, and winning everything, and then. Dad, Bonnie's been on the road so much overseas, we hardly put you guys in the same country, much less on the same phone call. So it's my pleasure to bring you both together, and I'd like just to step back out of this a little bit and listen to you two talk, but I think what we would love to hear about is your common ground with Mustangs and and your horsemanship of, uh, you know, well over 125 years or so uh, combined and uh, and a little bit about the future of uh, where you go from here, Chris, after winning undefeated now for Road to the Horse World Championships. I'll I'll let you take it from there.
4: How you doing, Monty? I'm doing fine, Chris, and I'm, I am i can't begin to tell you how excited I am to talk to you today. I'll i will get into that later, but Debbie, asked ask you, where are you going from here? And I, I would really like you to visit with us about what do you see? Where, where are you headed? What do you want? Because uh, the world is your oyster. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, um, you know,
5: it's... Uh, the public and the horses have been very good to me. I'm, I'm very blessed, uh, um uh, being able to grow up in a, in an environment like that. And, you know, I've kind of come to another time in my life, Monty, I'm almost 50 and I've got some, um, I've got a young family. I started family late. I've got a, two beautiful children and, and, uh, I'm spending time with them a lot. I, uh, I do a few clinics on the road, not too many, but a few. And then and then i uh do some do some clinics here week long courses here at the ranch and uh once in a while we will we'll uh we'll travel off and and do a demonstration I, i'm roping quite a bit and uh and i train a few cutting horses just uh, just a just a handful i sell some um and so uh, i'm involved in the in the competitive side of it as well um I've gotten to the point in my life to where I realize how important it is for me to be able to help somebody. Now that took—that's taken me thirty years to realize that. I felt (laughs) like that, um, you know, I wanted to go out and compete, and and, uh, I felt like I was kind of robbed of a lot of that competition until a lady got up in a clinic and and said one thing to me. She said, "Uh, "All the gold buckles that you win or whatever you win will not mean as much as you helping us." overcome our fear and learning about the horse. Mm. And so I thought about that for a while and it soaked in and, you know, and the people that you've helped over the years and, and and the accomplishments that they've been able to achieve through the success of you helping them and and your techniques and your guidance is very, very self gratifying. And I'm at at the point in my life to where I, I enjoy that. I enjoy helping people. I love horses. I love horses more today than I ever have. And, um, um, because I've become so much of a student of the horse that, uh, it, every day is just like waking up, uh, you know, in paradise and, and, uh, just going out and trying to get as much information as I can.
4: Oh mm. uh, Chris, with my daughter Debbie on the phone, she might be the number one person on the face of this earth to understand how gratifying it is to hear you say those words
1: absolutely uh huh Debbie, yeah, absolutely I mean, yeah
4: uh i won k- k- Chris, I won nine world championships and i and I've got all these buckles and those saddles are up there on the roof and 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 it's wonderful, it's really great and i'm I'm so pleased with the time that I spent uh in competition, but I want to tell you, Chris oh i I'm so sad to hear that you're getting to be fifty. I mean, come <laughs> on, it's terrible you getting old like that fifty. Do you know, Chris, the last words of my autobiography, which was the man who listens to horses, last words went into that thing in nineteen ninety one and in nineteen ninety one if you put the, the the curtain down right there. More things have happened to me, gratifying-wise, since 1991 than happened before 1991. Mm -hmm. And in 1991, I was 56 years old. Mm -hmm. So I want to announce to you that, God willing, and you stay healthy, you've got another lifetime ahead of you. And uh, I recently toured England, Germany, and Denmark. And I was gone, I don't know, 60-some days, 80 days or something. And it was, it was a fantastic tour. And I want to tell you, I didn't know that we were going to do this conversation. But you were on my mind the whole time. And I said to Pat when I got back here, I want to call Jack Roddy. And I want to see if I can get together with Chris and his wife and, and Jack and Donna I want to rent a motor home or something and go up there. And so I called Jack and he said, it's amazing that you call me because Chris is coming here at the end of January and he's going to do a clinic here. And I said, Oh my word, tell me about the atheist of the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, 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 and I don't want to go to Brentwood, California, and disturb a clinic. I don't. I don't want to be a distraction, nor do I want to get in the way of Jack and Donna. But I would love. I, I said to Debbie the other day, I'm having a thing here on Saturday evening called Night of Inspiration, and I said I wanted to invite you and your wife and family as guests of honor here and jack and 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 donna too and she said that would be rude because you only given them a few days well i only had a few days and it would be rude so i didn't invite you to be guest of honor here but you're guest of honor here anytime you drive through the gate but anyway i would love to go to brentwood there's a bunch of things that i would love to sit down and talk to you about there's a thing called passing the baton and uh Mr. Chris Cox is strong on my mind in my eighty-first year, and I want to know more about Mr. Chris Cox and what he wants for that second life that I'm talking about for you.
5: Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot. I um, Jack and I talk about you very often, and uh, and it would be an honor for for y'all to come down there and and uh, and come to the ranch. I've just conveniently um, made a, a clinic there in January, and uh, my wife has never been to the ranch, and my kids have never been to their ranch and with their golf course and their clubhouse. And and uh, you know, Jack went to school with my dad, and and uh, he was, uh, you know, he's like a dad to me as well. So, um, but for you for y'all to come up there, that would be that would be absolutely a a cherry on the cake for sure.
4: Well, I would love to do it. Let's do it. And I got some messages for those people. How many people are you going to have there? 20 or so in your uh, clinic? 23, I think. Yeah,
5: I've cool. got a little waiting their... list, but, but um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a good clinic, yeah.
4: Good. I, I'd love to tell all 23 of them how fortunate they are uh, to be able to extract from you uh, certain elements of all of this. And I want to tell you, Chris, at 81, if you strap a polygraph on me, I'm going to tell you that the last two or three years have been the steepest upward learning curve of my life. So there's a lot to learn out there. I know you know it. And I know that we're just scratching the surface. And I I said before they put the tape on that they handed me a clipboard one time and, and asked me to score you along with four or five other judges in one of these young horse uh, starting uh, demonstrations or whatever you call those things, colt breakings, things. And uh, somebody said to me the other day, you judged Chris Cox in one of those. And I said, I did not. I observed Chris Cox in one of those, and I would never put myself in a position to say that I judged him, and I, I remember so clearly, Chris, that those three Roan fillies that they brought in, and they were big, strong, strapping, healthy, uh, wild-as-deer uh, fillies, they were all by the same sire, and I think half-sister mothers or something, they looked identical. And there were Griffwoods from South Dakota. You're right. Yeah, they were from South Dakota. I knew that, but they had a slot on there, Chris, for one to ten. How difficult is this one, is this horse to do? So that you could get a a ten points if you had one that was the most difficult. Or you could get two points if it looked like you had a puppy dog out there. And I was sitting there looking at this score sheet, and I thought, you know, what you gotta do is make this mark in the first five minutes. You can't be sitting around waiting to see what this animal is in 30 minutes or an hour. And in the first five minutes, I put an eight on your number. And the fellow off to my far right, I don't even remember his name, I put a four and every other judge turned that completely over because they waited for about an hour or two and the guy off to my right had his up to an eight and yours was down to a four and it's what we create of our horses. It's not how they come in that pen. Yeah.
5: I'm I'm so glad you said that. Um, there's when people ask about judging or about even observing, even the audience observing as soon they forget where that horse came from. And it can be five minutes. It can be 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But if somebody can make a change to that horse earlier on and, and change him around, they can change that thought process of that horse becoming defensive or becoming willing, willing. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've tried to explain to people about exactly what you're saying there, you put it as good as I've heard anybody say it. You've got to be able to look at the horse at the beginning before somebody even goes in there and connects with it. You see, there's people that can connect with a horse, and there's people that can just kind of go along and get in a horse's way, and and eventually get them to where they eventually, you know, bluff them into looking at them or connect. You know, or it's not a connection; it's more of a like they become agreeable after a while. It's not. It's not a. You know, it's not a connection. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and and as you get to talking into this, um, I'm so adamant about telling people what a horseman is. A mm-hmm. horseman is somebody that can read and understand the thought process and the body language of a horse and instinctively be in timing with the, with the response they're looking for.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: And there's so many methods out there. That that people drill on these methods, and they're not horsemen; they're horse trainers, mm-hmm. and they drill these horses to where every horse is worked the same, and they put them into the same category, mm-hmm. and they're not using horsemanship or the thought process of reading the animal. Would you agree?
4: Oh, I absolutely agree. And and Chris, I think the greatest thing anybody can say to you is, "Geez, you're lucky; you get all the easy ones." Oh, how many times have they it's said that to you? <laughs> They've said that to me a thousand times and every time they yeah. do I just put a fist in the air and I go wow, making it look easy. That's the answer, you know. Yeah. And I watched you make it look easy. And and you got in those other two guys' way if you'll remember because before God got the news you were outside the round pen, riding this thing up and down the fence there, distracting these other poor fellows that couldn't pick the horse's <laughs> foot up yet. And 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 I'm I'm being I'm overstating the case maybe a little bit, but Chris, Chris Cox, ten years ago, you know, um, I don't know how many had you done of that type of thing before that one 10 years ago. That
5: was the first one that I've done there, uh, a competition. Yeah. You
4: know, I, I, Chris, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say it. And and that is the answer. You didn't come in there with, with a road map and a plan and then I'm going to jerk in here and then I'm going to do this. And then You went in there and you flowed with your horse. And it was magic. That filly found you, agreed with you, let you get the job done, and it was it was embarrassing how much better it was than those other fellows. And there's nothing wrong with these other guys. They'd just been looking at their grandfather's work too long and, and demanding from the horse and and, and like like you just said, forcing the horse or, or, or having a plan that the horse didn't understand at all. And uh, this guy off to my right, he wanted to pick up a hind foot right away, and that horse didn't want him to pick up a hind foot, and he just kept yeah. fighting that picking up a hind foot till pretty quick he had the horse mad about everything he did. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, Chris and. Someday, and you you have a lot longer to do this than I do, someday you'll look at somebody in the next generation and you'll say, look at them, go by me. Because I'm watching right now while you still have a, a body that works and you still get on. You know, I never did a demonstration for the public until I was already 55 years old and had five back surgeries and I couldn't get on my own horses anymore. Mm-hmm. I never did a demonstration for the public when I could still get on, but you know, I don't want to fight the thing that I should have started earlier. And uh, it happened that way. I was in competition and as long as I could. And, uh, and now you're having fun with your competition and you don't, you don't have to win the buckle. You want to win the <laughs> buckle. And, uh, you know, the more things you do right, the luckier you're going to get.
5: Well, I appreciate all those compliments. I, uh, I've i got a question for you. Earlier that you said that um, that in the last two years that you have learned so much, and I'd like, like to ask you what are some of those things that you think that, that has made such a difference? And maybe it's the same old thing and you looked at it differently or... or well,
4: one one thing that's kind of unique where I'm concerned, Chris, is that I have this herd of wild deer, and I've been working yeah, with this herd that was going to be my deer. next
5: question. I, I read in the Western Horseman. I'm talking about 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Would I be correct? 35 years ago. Yeah. 35 years ago, yeah. I read in the Western Horseman. I, there was an article on you uh, communicating deer. Now that that was. It was a long time ago. You've been doing this for 40 years. years. Yeah. And I remember as a kid in Australia picking up a Western horseman and reading your philosophy with horses and, and your timing and your pressure and release and and um and all that on these deer. So
4: I'll let you take over on that. Well, Chris, you you above all on earth would understand this. There was an old doe with losing her teeth and the coyotes were trying to eat her on the ground. And I just had an idea to save her life. And and I started working with her. And I discovered that their language and their, their response, their behavioral patterns were identical to the horse, except that they were sensitive about 100 times more than the horse. And so I started, I wanted to touch this old girl. And I worked for six years before I touched her. And on a given night, Chris, I was up there. My pickup was parked over there, and she was there. And I had been losing her for a week at a time because of something I did. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And I would bring my hand back from reaching out just behind her shoulder and trying to touch her there, and she didn't want it, then bringing my hand forward and I'm going to touch her on just up at the point of her shoulder, and all of a sudden she's gone for another week. It would take me a week to get back where I was. And I know this is ridiculous, and I know it's insane to, to do this, but I was obsessed with it. So I kept going. And one night I was sitting there. It's, it's a good moon, and I can see, and I'm moving my hand, and I started to think about moving my eyes to where I wanted to touch her because I want to look at my hand when it touches her. Well, I thought to myself, when I move my eyes, she's going to go. That's what's been, I I made this mistake so many times, it's hitting me on the head now. Don't move your eyes. So I left my eyes right where I was looking at the back of her shoulder. And my hand could feel, went up there and touched her on the neck. And this was the first time that, according to the wildlife experts, any deer that was raised in the wild, never put in a pen or raised on a bottle or something like that, had ever been touched by a human being. That's what my university people told me. Well, it was as though this old doe said, well, for crying out loud, you finally got it right. And I, I left her told her how much I loved her and I left her and I went and jumped in my pickup and drove off the hill 50 miles an hour, went to the round pen, turned the lights on and I started getting horses out that I'd been having a lot of trouble with. And I had about 60 head of horses in training, mostly thoroughbreds for the racing industry. And I had some snakes and and I got, I went right to the worst one and worked backwards. And I was doing incredible work with them in five to six minutes time that I couldn't do in a week before and it had to do with my eyes and now in the last two years these deer have taught me so much because one thing leads to another and it's like a snowball when you start learning learning gathers and it just keeps building and and I have a, a, a young student that came to stay in my log cabin here and, and learn from me. It's a female lady, 30 years old. And Chris, I have now touched 14 of the 24 deer in this family group, rubbing them on their ears, rubbing their heads and necks, and this lady... Came and sat down behind me, and I, I uh, they were, they stayed about fifty yards from me while she was there. The first day, the second day, I said they came up to me, and I said just say hello, and she said hello, and they went fifty yards away again, and she was here sixteen days, and she stroked eight of the deer in this uh, in this herd of twenty four. Now, why is that? It's because learning begets learning. And once we learn one thing, then it's easy to learn two more. And once we learn the two more, it's easy to learn four more. But we have to open our minds and be observant of everything that happens, the little things that make a difference. You don't even know what you don't know. You don't even know what you do know. It's in your DNA. It happens and people will say, why did you do this? And you say, I didn't even realize I did that. How many times have you heard that one? And you have that potential. And this 30-year-old that I had in that log cabin, she has that potential. And, and, and her, her pulse rate sits in the 40s. And, and she's, just, she's just you know one of those really relaxed kind of people. And these deer just fell in love with her. Well, those are potentials. Those are people that have the potential. But Chris, I think a lot of people have those potentials and they fight them off.
5: Yeah. No, I, I And agree. so they they, um, they they don't they don't look into it and see what they can do. You know what's your yeah. gift?
4: Yeah. I I would I would love to spend more time with you. I would love to. Yeah, to show you what this learning curve of mine is all about so that, you know, you can jump on that rung of the ladder wherever it is. There's some rungs way above me that you've already made. But I understand that, and that's wonderful because you're the type of person that can carry this thing on and make a difference for the horses of the world for the balance of our, our, our time on earth.
5: Well, I appreciate that. I um, I think that uh, a lot of people uh, have a hard time sometimes understanding the the in depth that goes goes into communicating with an animal, and how much discipline that you have to be able to control your emotions. And I think that's a big thing is knowing how to control your emotions and knowing how to stay because they perceive you, you know. Um, you know, you, you, you've heard it many, many times, your horse acts the way you do, Yeah. and um, how many clinics that we've had that somebody's hyper and uneasy and the horse's feet are moving all the time and they're, <laughs> you know, and they're all over the place, they're looking everywhere and, well, look who's handling it, you know, all the time it stems yeah. from our personalities and, and on the other perspective of the low energy and, and uh, you know, it can translate into that as well, so. Um, Yeah, and I I believe this is what I believe. And I've never told you this before. And uh, it might be a little in depth for somebody, and it might be a little stupid for some people. But I think it's real. I think horses are on this earth, and it's God' gifts to us to be able to. There's a lot of answers. There's a lot of things that a horse can teach us about the world and how to live. Wow! And how to communicate. And, yeah. and that's the missing message as, as, as we go on into more and more technology and these horses have been around for thousands of years, the horse is still around and has still been a vital part in, in, in the human. And as far as where, if it's communication, transportation, um, whatever it is, the horse is still around. And even today it's more important, the horse is going to play a more a more important role with our wounded veterans, with our handicapped, our mentally ill, with
0: oh.
5: with all these things that are going on with common people like myself that get inspired in working with an animal. And, and if we open ourselves up, and like you and I do, and we've created a've we, we've, we've created a, a lifelong journey doing this, We open ourselves up. As a student, not with ego, not with a chip on their shoulder, not with trying to show off, but learning on what this horse or this deer can tell us and show us. There's so many answers. There's so many answers in that message that in, its, in one of my goals is to be able to share that with the world the way you are and, and, and to be able to get it out there. But, but, uh, but I tell you what, they're not going to go away and, um, and a horse will tell a lot about somebody. And, and I tell people all the time, when you come to my clinic, whether you know it or not, I'll know you better than your husband or your wife mm-hmm. or your children before you leave. <laughs>
0: yeah.
5: I know your I know your emotions, I know your personality, uh, all of those things because yeah. of the, way, the way the horse it tells me in the way the horse, the way you go at your horse the way you handle your horse the way you ride your horse the way you communicate to your horse you know all of those things you can you can tell so much about the human
4: would you yeah. agree chris oh chris you have no idea how golden those words are to me you know all through the 40s chris and in way into the 50s when i was winning championship after championship and trying to show people But I I hid it because I got beat up so bad for it. Everything that Chris Cox has done in those four events that he won, everything that you've done while I was in my young life was ridiculed. They said it's voo voo, it wouldn't work, he's cheating, they've been given something, he's blowing something up their nose. I went through death threats to pave a road for Chris Cox. I didn't know it was Chris Cox at the time. And, and there's others too, Chris. You know it and I know it. There's some good kids oh, yeah, out sure. there. And, and you will put wheels under them. You will prop them up way more than I am. I am an outcast. Because of my early life, when I was ridiculed so hard, there's been arrest made because people were going to shoot me in the round pen. I've been helicoptered out of three different areas where they were going to kill me because I messed up their world saying that what they were doing was upside down and, and that it, it ought to be you know uh, thrown out. And, and, and who am I to say those things? They're going to kill me. Well, you won't have to go through that because of what I went through. But you have some of it, and you already have, I'm sure, had some of it. But with the contests that have evolved because of the things that we've done, uh, you have had the opportunity to say, let the horse do the talking for you. Look at the horse. Why is my horse doing so much better? Well, you're just lucky. Well, you're not just lucky. You're doing it right. And I say to a lot of my audiences, Chris, you know, the world leaders could learn a lot from horses if they'd just listened to them.
5: And, that's and you think about it. If you, if, you, if you back up history, not too long ago, every president or every prime minister or every prince or queen had horses. And yeah. most of them still do. Yeah. And, uh, but even with the United States, they all had horses and, and, you know, it was a big part of a big part of somebody's life. And I think it's such a stress reliever now. It's such a stress reliever for me to be able to go out and just be with my animals. I mean, with, with my schedule as as well as your schedule, we travel a lot and we're, we're not as much around the as what we want to be because we're in between travel and and this and that Mm. and, and office work and, and uh, I'm trying to get my business to where I spend more time with my horses rather than less time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But anyway, going back to what you're saying there, I, I, uh, no doubt that uh, you are certainly a pioneer in the communication of the horse, and and of course, you know, we owe you a big thanks and and to be able to open up those those bridges for us that um, that would have either ought other ought been closed or or. Um, you know, still have that backlash. And they're that's still out there. It's still out there, but it certainly
4: yeah. It's it's more accepted now. You know, because or, or, they don't or, think it's Well Chris reason. Chris, if you look through my eyes at it, don't I owe you a big thanks? I mean what if I did all this and then it went nowhere? Oh, you true. are the yeah. one you are the one that deserves the big thanks and and other students that are coming along, the Philip Rawls of the world and the Zane Davises and the, and the uh, Ron Rawls. And, and you know, my, the list of people throughout about six different disciplines that have gone and won gold medals in the Olympics or international races and things like that, the list of people that have, have locked on to me and done my thing, and they hide it, Chris. They hide the fact that they've done it. They're embarrassed that they changed so much because the rest of the world didn't want them to change yet. They weren't ready for it. And now you have broke open the door with competition that allows people to say, hey, yeah, I took that up. And, and don't you find it peculiar that so many people bring you horses and then go home and do the same thing that they did before, and you say, why wouldn't you try the way I showed you?
5: Oh, yeah, that's, um, that's that's disappointing for sure. Um, it's but tough. you know, one of the I've hardest done... things, especially a man, one of the hardest things it is for a man to do is, is uh-huh. to take his ego or his pride and put it aside.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: And try something Chris,
4: I heard I heard this said so many times, look, you bastard, you can say I'm wrong, but you can't say my daddy was wrong. And uh, they live with that ego, that tradition, so hard. And I've done 2,750 non-loaders now. And I haven't had yet, I'm knocking on wood, a failure. And I've got some kids that time them now and all that stuff. And I work with them for about eight minutes away from the trailer or the truck. And then about eight minutes. And then I go over there and then I fiddle with them around the ramp for a little bit. And then I say, now it's time to load. And they can punch their watch then. And it's about four seconds average. And some have taken 15 or 20 minutes. But it's about four seconds on average average that they walk into the vehicle. Now, then you go around the world and you see that none of the other uh, clinicians that do these remedial non-loaders are using my techniques. Well, I want to tell you something. If I see something that I think is a better way, that'll be my way tomorrow, and I will steal anything I can in favor of the horse. And I have stolen from Richard Schrake and Ian Vandenberg, and I've stolen from so many people. Uh, But particularly, I have listened to the horses, and I know you have too. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. No, that's good good stuff. And I can't begin to tell you how happy I am, how forthcoming you were, and open with your thoughts and, and your ideas, and, boy, oh boy, do they sit in unison and synergistic to how I feel, too.
5: Well, good. I appreciate that. I, I thought so. So that's great. That's really
2: good. Thank you,
3: folks.
0: We all hear about omega-3 and how important it is for your horse's nutrition. But Why? Well, simply put, horses were created to get all of their nutrition from live, natural grasses. Omega-3 is an essential fat found in many types of live grasses, and it's critical to the horse's health. If they were living on live grasses 24-7, they would be receiving enough omega-3. But in today's world, most horses are fed commercial feed and forage as their primary nutrition, and most of these are lacking in omega-3. That's where Omega Fields comes in. All of Omega Fields' flax based products provide a balanced essential profile of Omega 369 and may be helpful in alleviating problems related to skin, coat, hoof, joint, and sand colic. One of Omega Fields' terrific products is Omega Horseshine. Omega Horseshine is an Omega-3 stabilized ground flaxseed supplement for horses to help maintain a shiny, healthy coat, strong, solid hooves, and top performance for horses in all life stages. Omega Fields provides the best human-grade, non-GMO ground flax that can help horses with dry, scaly, itchy skin, joint pain and inflammation, poor hoof growth, allergies, and more. Don't just listen to Debbie and I. Alexandra, a customer of Omega Field, says any horse I ever own, I will feed them Omega horse Shine, and I will recommend it to anyone. You can get your Omega horse Shine today at OmegaFields.com or just for our listeners, get 15% off using the coupon code Monty 2015 All one word, it's Monty 2015 for 15% off your next order at OmegaFields.com. That's OmegaFields.com.
1: At 94, Jack Brainerd still leads an active life, well-known as the horse trainer, breeder, judge, leader, teacher, author, mentor, and friend. He's written a new book called A Horseman Remembers His First 90 Years. I love that. His contributions to the equine industry and his lifelong commitment to horses and the people who enjoy them have made him legendary in this industry. He even... He has a very popular award named after him, the Road to the Horse, Jack Brainerd Horsemanship Award, named for that trophy that goes to the horseman or horsewoman who excels in their power of observation to correctly analyze the best approach and then apply that as smoothly as possible for the horse's best interest. Well, welcome. We've got Jack Brainerd on the line. Say hi, Jack. Howdy. How's everybody? Everybody's good here, and we've got Monty Roberts with you, too. Say hi.
4: I'm on. I'm on here waiting to talk with my friend.
1: Oh my goodness! So I've got a youngster and I've got the uh, the, the masters um, on the phone, <laughs> and I'll let you two talk to, talk to us a little bit about this road to the horse before the end of your time. But also, I'd like to hear about some of the early days that led up to the road to the horse that you guys remember mm. going down the road back, you know, a few decades ago. I'll, I'll let mm. Dad start with that.
4: Start me with it. Well, yeah. you know it's it's a, it's such a pleasure to to speak with Jack here. I don't get to see him that often anymore, but uh, it goes way back uh, to a time when Jack Brainerd was just a cowboy. He was just a horseman, and and he certainly wasn't, in my opinion, a very intellectual person. But now he's led three or four different lives. And I can't believe, I cannot believe how uh, cerebral, how intellectual this man has become after life expectancy already reached. I mean, in his 60s and 70s, I, I, I watched Jack Brainerd take on subjects that I don't think he even knew existed when he was in his 30s and 40s. And it just shows you that the human brain can keep on learning and I don't get to talk with too many people anymore that are older than me. So this is a real pleasure for me to visit with Jack.
6: <laughs> well uh, likewise, uh, it's a real pleasure to visit you. I've always had so much respect for money, and believe it or not, mine and I have known each other, mine and I am Pat. Uh for 50 years or more and uh, this is this is a big thing I knew Monty and knew of him uh, it was a little bit later in his college years I got acquainted with him but I happened to know uh, as I judged shows years and years ago that uh, there is such a thing as called the middle class finals and this is the world's championship for youth western equitation and Bonnie was the world champion. He won the middle class finals as a kid. And of course that immediately, immediately awakened me from the standpoint of, hey, this kid's gonna go somewhere and uh I definitely wasn't mistaken about that. And of course we got acquainted we had a mutual, some mutual friends who helped us both along, but uh these were uh these were the days that that as with mommy and I know that uh Mommy and my thoughts on, uh, on Western equitation uh, run along the same lines. Not everyone, no two trainers think alike, and no two trainers do exactly the thing on, same thing on a horse. Although they can be good trainers, uh, they don't exactly have to think alike. But, uh, well, Monty and I's ideas are pretty good. In fact, when I watch him in the round pen doing things with a horse, I think, uh, he is 20 years ahead of anybody else. So these are, uh, these are my thoughts. And when I had got this telephone call that I was going to visit with Monty, uh, it was indeed a, a pleasure. I look forward to, uh, to this phone conversation. So we can talk about any kind of horsemanship you want, money. as far as I'm concerned. Uh,
4: whatever you think. Well, and, well I, I appreciate the compliments. You know, Jack, um, when I won those championships, I suppose I was thinking that I was about as good as anybody could get to be and probably knew just about everything you need to know, and there I was. I won eight world championships, uh, so I must be the best at that point in time anyway. But I have to tell you, Jack, that as if you put a polygraph on me, the past two or three years have been the steepest upward learning curve of my life. Mm-hmm. And like you, and you, you have been an inspiration to me, because, like you, it seems that when we get settled down and stop thinking about various unimportant things in our life and start thinking really deeply about the thing we're doing, we begin to learn much better in our sixties and seventies than we ever learned in our thirties and forties oh, yeah. and it just yeah. it ju- and, and 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 you know, like I was saying with Chris there. That there's only one group of uh, individuals that have the answers to all of this, and that's the horses that we work with. And 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 when you say I'll let the horses do the talking for me, that's what Chris does. He goes out there, and and you you don't judge him. You just put mm-hmm. the marks down that those horses give him.
6: Yeah. This is true. This is true. Uh, we, uh, you know, this is the thing. When you talk about, uh, about your learning curve in your last, in, in later years, I think that's right. One of the things I think, and as you spend a, a lifetime riding horses, you become more observant and you begin to, uh, you begin to think about these things a little bit stronger, and actually, what you do it's a it's a thought process that happens and i and this might not be with horses, you know as well as I do that we think about automobiles, we think about investments, we think about everything a whole lot different when we 're sixties and seventies than we did when we were twenties or thirties. And this is exactly the same way with the horse. As we get older, we begin to think. Now, with me, with me on my horses, I, uh, I've always, you know, here's another thing, and I hope I don't uh, uh, run on too much about this, but... Uh, one of the things, nowadays, anybody who's getting into the horse business, it's easy for them to uh, get knowledge. Why? It's easy to find a mentor, because there's so many of them around. Transportation is easy. You can load the horse in a trailer and go off and get some lessons from somebody. You can hire somebody to come in and help you if you have a problem lesson, You, you know, the, uh, the information is so much easier now. When I started, I really wanted to work with horses, and it, think about this in the 1930s that nobody had a horse trailer. If you wanted to haul a horse you had to get a big stub nosed truck and haul your horse. If you and there was no such thing as a professional trainer. This isn't so long ago and when you think about time. Think about this. Thirty years ago, thirty years ago there was no such thing as professional horse trainers. There were a few bronc riders in the Western world, there were a few trainers on thoroughbreds, and there were a few trainers on saddlebreds in the 30s. But there's no such thing as a trainer who gave lessons or who would really develop a nice horse. That wasn't you know the information wasn't there, but as it's come along and it, it all happened. If you want to know the truth, it all happened when the quarter horse come along because then we begin to have competitions and then we begin to have money entering the picture. And here is where where it started. You must remember, in early America's there were no. Good Western horsemen they didn't come along clear up until the nineteen forties Is't that a strange thing? you know we had cowboys in nineteen 19- 1890, which is the end of the trail driving days, in the 1900s, ran, big ranch days, in the 1900s, grew up until the 1930s, or the Depression, years in the 1930s, there were cowboys, you know, there were lots of cowboys out there, but they didn't have a clue about a horse. Do you think any one of them would know what a lead change was? They didn't know <laughs> what a lead was. Do you think any of them knew what collection was? Do you know anything what about about High and control, they didn't know anything, grew up I and mean, nobody did, and so this is the thing as but as we get older and as we think about these things, now we begin to to think, and it's the same way with me. I begin to see a horsemen who could do more than I could, but one of the things I've always been pretty much of a student on horsemanship, and I begin to read a lot, and I begin to hunt knowledge on stories and the great, and believe it or not, I have a fantastic library. I would guess that I have uh, 100 books, maybe more, on nothing more than horse training. And I study them, and I think the smartest thing I've ever done is that, because I come to believe and come to know, but no question that there are horsemen in the old world 100, 200 years long before us are the greatest horsemen in the world. Just as an example, do you... uh, Go ahead. uh, uh, One second. Do you realize that in uh, 1900 there uh, there there wasn't 100 men who understand lead changes and that type thing in America? But you also remember that 200 years ago, there were horsemen in Europe who could change leads every stride, canter a horse backwards, canter a horse on three legs, do the payoff, canter in place, change leads, canter in place, and do those kind of things. So you think they didn't know more than we do? Well, we're infants in horsemanship in America. And here is where I went to find out some things about the horse. I was a student of old, old world horsemanship. Boy, they knew more than we did. And this is this is one of the things, you know. I hope I didn't get off the subject, but but no, no, no,
4: uh, no, Jack, you're you're spot on the subject. You and I. Uh, are rare because we've uh, had God allow us to leave us here for a while, and and I remember them coming to inspect horses that never had any breeding at all. That would they make them quarter horses in 1946 and 47, when the quarter horse breed was just first getting started, and and there I was already in competition since my first competition was in 1939 so you and i have lived right through that transition and, um, yeah. and 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 jack you you and i know that when you know when i went up to live with don dodge do mm-hmm. you think i could sque- you think i could squeeze information out of him you know yeah. if you if you could beat somebody in competition, you didn't tell anybody anything about what you were doing, yeah. and, and no, nobody thought about improving the lot of the horse by passing information along and, and, and improving our life with horses, and there's still a lot of people that think that way today.
6: No question. No question. This is exactly right. You know, along those lines, you're just exactly right. You know, I was a calf roper. I loved to rodeo, and I loved to calf rope. And one time I invited some professional ropers to my house to lay over waiting for another roper. These are good ropers with, with, and Vernon Kearns. And I was roping, too. You know, and of course we got we got ready to tie down, and they they watched me out there. And one day they were sitting together on their horse, and here they were, my guests. I was feeding them, staying at my house, roping my calves, and they stood there and looked at him at one another, and finally one of them said, well, "Would you think we ought to tell him?" and and I said, "Well, maybe we should." The other one said. <laughs> so they yeah. get me off the side, and I said, "You don't know a damn thing about tying a calf down." And yeah. They'd watch me roping for a week. You know, you don't know a damn thing about tying a calf down. I was, yeah. Hey, here, let us show you. So they gets me off and started showing me how to tie a calf on the ground, the shortcuts and how I was supposed to do it. And hell, I was, you know—I was just a Green, green, I didn't know, you know. It, but this, uh, with Kate and I, so I said, How in the world come you son of a guns didn't tell me this a long time ago? We've been roping here for two weeks, you know. Why didn't you tell me this? We're going to a rodeo this weekend. Why don't you tell me this a long time ago? They said, Well, I'll tell you, well, we don't tell anybody anything because if you tell anybody something, they'll beat you. <laughs> so that's like you and Dodge, you know. Yeah, the same story. That was the yeah. attitude. No question. Yeah.
4: I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning and cleaning stalls for him, and I had to sneak and look over the fence through the knot holes and stuff to watch what he was doing to try to figure out, you know, what I needed to pull away from him to try to improve my own horsemanship. And when I was growing up, we had Ray Hackworth, as a a yeah. customer that kept kept his training stable right there on the competition grounds in Salinas, California. And mm-hmm. I had to sneak I had to sneak around he had a horse called Shiny Pants and this one and that one. They were big time champions at the time. And I had to sneak yeah. around to see see what he did to try to figure out uh, you know, how to make my horses be better. Well, yeah. somewhere along the line We've learned the value of education and the fact that everybody can rise on the same tide and that there's a certain amount of gratification in leaving behind you a better generation than the one you were born into. And, and that's true. my goal now, and I know it's yours, too. That's exactly mine. You know, I'm through. I can't go to the show
6: pen anymore and do these things. Maybe, maybe I can leave something that was worthwhile for somebody coming on. You know, and yeah. that's exactly what your thoughts are. And,
4: and, and here more, we
6: sit right, though, my,
4: that's all we got left. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's, that's all that's left to us but uh yes, but, it, but right. we sit we we sit here jack we sit here rare people because there's still uh, our generation still doesn't want uh to improve other people our generation on balance there's only a few of us that have taken up this cause and i think it's because we've come to love horses enough to know that they've been so good to us that we ought to try to leave the world better for them. We're here we're here talking about Chris Cox and there's a good young man uh who who now is really on and he, he specifically said he's really on a mission to leave the world a better place than he found it and and uh I really give him credit for that. And you know uh Ron Rawls uh, he yeah. was with me here here eight years, and uh he's a nice young man, or he's not young anymore, but he's a nice guy and and his I'm son philip rawls uh, Philip mm-hmm. Rawls is doing well and yeah. uh i i never I never got uh, uh ron Rawls until he was thirty years old, and mm-hmm. he rode a center fire saddle with a candle up between his shoulder blades, and down off the mountain he came. Uh, you know, and he could bring your cows home, but he didn't know one lead from another or, or anything about it. And and I had him here eight years, and then uh, Sean Davis sent me his his son Zane Davis, and uh, man, he's doing good, as you probably know. And uh, yeah. you know, there's there's a whole bunch of kids. And I've been well, fortunate in, enough. You
6: want to remember in these instances, in these instances, now I'm, I'm talking about. This is true. They, when we think about the, the uh, when we think about the thing that they haven't been in it long, they have. Yes, they have. Well, actually, he worked for you for eight years, which was an intense learning period. He come out yeah. and he's been on his own. How long has Ron been on his own?
4: Ten? Well, a, it's, it's now almost it, twenty years.
6: There you are. Now he's had 20 years and he's been on a horse nearly every day. So he's not a beginner by any means, you know. And this no. is the thing. He, 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 has, he has an absolute right to call himself or for anyone to call himself a great horseman because he is. There isn't any question about that. And a good man.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of those kids. And, and you know, my particular position is such that. I have kids in the racing industry all over the world that are really doing some fantastic stuff, and uh, and in the show jumping and, and dressage, uh, gold medal winners and stuff, in quite a few disciplines, and that's a lot of fun too, Jack.
6: Yes, it is. I feel the same way. Remember, in the racing deal, I'm ahead of all of you when we talk about uh mentors or students that have done well I got you all beat. I guess the thing about make, which makes me the leader and I, I don't think with my ego, this is just kind of fun. But I started D Wayne Lucas and oh. uh he's won two hundred and fifty million. I don't think for has got has students who've won more than that, so wow. we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's amazing.
6: <laughs> that that puts me in a
4: class by myself. <laughs> far, did he, he give you? Did he give, with you and did, with you. <laughs> Did he give you? Did he give you ten percent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he had it.
6: <laughs> He's going to be here next week when I go into the hall, Cowboy Hall of Fame. I can't oh, wait to see him. I see him oh, about once a year, and I talk to him every month or so. But please give him my best.
4: Well. Please yeah. give him my best. You
6: know, yeah uh, he's been doing good. Uh,
4: well, it's, hard course, yeah. it's hard to trade stories with yeah. you. It's hard to trade stories with you when you come up with d. Wayne Lucas. <laughs> <laughs>
6: That's amazing yeah. Gosh, well I neighbor.
4: I-
1: so I, I would I, I want I don't want to keep you all afternoon. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate both of you coming on and and uh, trading stories. I hope this just uh, keeps the conversation rolling, and you two get together in 2016 to swap some more stories and to uh, remind us of our roots and where we came from. And I appreciate your horsemanship. I appreciate your sacrifice, and and uh, appreciate you being willing to be mentors and teachers to all of us who. Um, appreciate a good horse
6: well that's good I, I appreciate your call and to me this is definitely fun to live with money because we go back and and we we, we haven't even gotten into it yet <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs> go.
1: <laughs> well good i hear a you, part two coming in this
4: <laughs> yeah you know jack just let me tell you that I'm trying to keep myself close to those people in their 90s, and uh, yeah, and and Prince Philip, he's 94 now, and and I get to see him four or five times a year, and that guy's still driving his his hitch. uh high. Yeah. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, and he takes a young lady along with him that, you know, could help with the harness and stuff if they, if they have to. But he stopped the other day and said to me, you think that I've got her along to help me if something goes wrong, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, I just like riding up here with a pretty girl. And uh, I thought, man, at 94, <laughs> that's okay with me and And then I got a call the other day, Jack, that the Queen wants me to come and and help celebrate her ninetieth birthday in May of this coming year uh, of this Here's
6: year an invitation, Where what? You know? I guess you'll be there, won't
4: you? I'm gonna be there, man.
6: Oh, that's right. Isn't that wonderful? All
1: right. Well, hey, I thank you both. I'm going to sign off now and uh, let you get back to life because you got a lot to live yet, right?
4: Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. I'll be talking to you again. Bye bye. All right. Call me when you need me. me.
1: Our trainer's tip today comes fr- from Jane DeCosta of the Junior Equestrian Festival and Lindsay Martin of the College Prep Scholarship Fund. And together they do a tip about kids and horses.
7: I think, I think Lindsay, if I could say for both of us, I think that Lindsay and I don't, our pet peeve is that when a child does not thank her mount for the service that he has provided her, a pat on the neck after the job is done, running up your stirrups, walking him off, that is our number one. Sometimes we don't, we see a kid get off and just walk away from it like it was a service, not like it was that, you know, lucky enough to have that mouth.
1: Good for you. That's an awesome tip. Yeah, that's a really good one to uh, get the kids appreciating what they've got under them too and make it more of a um, relationship. Yeah?
7: Right, because every ride is judge, a good ride. Mm-hmm. Yes, and actually last year my judge at CPI, Michael Page, actually made them all pat their horses when they lined up. And if they did not pat their horses, they were eliminated.
1: <gasps> Ooh, <laughs> that's
7: serious. <laughs> he is very, you know, you have to, it's, it's so much people ask, you know, at, at the end of the day, the things that makes this horse show go great in this program are the horses. And, you know, people are very kind to provide their horses for this type of program. Yes, I do lease them from them for the weekend, but, you know, still they're giving up their horse. They're giving up their own time, um, you know, so it's, it's important to remember that. Another thing I really stress with the kids at the barn and kids that have participated in IEA is you never say anything negative about a horse you've been on because you don't know the standing near you. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, you don't ever want to be that person. mm mm-hmm. You know, you thank the person very much and you walk away. If you didn't have the best ride, you didn't have, the, it's the luck of the draw, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and even you if you didn't have the best ride, there's got to be something learned from that ride that, mm-hmm. that you can yes. take and go forward with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent tips. Excellent tips. I hope all those students out there listening take that to heart. Because I that's love it. Good for the horse and excellent. good for the people. Excellent. Yes.
4: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain you can learn to do it too on my equus online university western english the beginner or the advanced rider it doesn't matter you can connect with other students online too on our forum and there's a new lesson every week it's a lifetime of learning for you on my equus online university at montyroberts.com what in the wide wide world of sports is going on here?
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. In March, he'll be in England on an English tour on March 5th, 11th, and March 19th. And then in April, he'll be in Philipsburg, Denmark, for the 9th. And then in Germany, he'll be there on the 21st of April, the 23rd of April, the 30th of April, and then into May, on the 5th of May, and then actually Austria- on the 7th of May, then we jump back to California where he does a very special training that he does uh, with Portuguese translation. Um, he speaks English and we have a translator who comes up from Brazil and that's July 17 through 21. And then he does his own special training uh, on August 1 through 5 of 2016. And then we have that very special Gentling Wild Horses course that Jamie Jennings took last year and that this year will be August 22 through September. September two, that's two weeks long.
2: Wow. That's a whole bunch of stuff. And you can see it all at Monty Roberts' website, montyroberts.com. If you want to go old school and speak with a lovely human being, you can get Monty's calendar at 805-688-6288. And for more details about today's show, you can find it at horsemanshipradio.com, where we will have links, photos, and more information about our guests. And we love feedback. That's how we know what you want to hear, folks. Please follow Mm -hmm. us on Facebook. You can just go to Facebook and search Monty Roberts. And Monty Roberts is a Twitter. Yes, he is. Monty underscore Roberts. He tweets. And you can get the app to listen to all of the Horse Radio Network shows, including Horsemanship Radio for your Android or iPhone. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Download it today. It's quick, it's free, and it's
1: easy. Easy. That's the best word. And many thanks to our sponsors. We've got ifa.com, Omega Fields, and Monty Roberts University. We thank them for making this possible. And be sure to visit all the other great shows too on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.